Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you need to invest in your team, and if you want to get your team aligned and refocused on their mission and purpose and values, but you need help doing it, DM me on LinkedIn and let's chat about how we can work together. Okay, fan favourite, the Shane Michael Hatton is back on the pod. Shane, how are you? How how many times do we say Shane's back and how long until we just say Shane never left? I've just been sitting here waiting since <laughs> since our last recording for you to come back. So I think maybe you've come back. I've just been here the whole time. In the waiting room. You're just waiting for me to admit you. Uh, yeah, anytime you need me, just click admit and I'll be there. Okay, so one thing that happened the other day is that someone said Shane needs to become a co-host of this podcast. And I was like, upvote, like, yes, please. So you know what? I think we do a Shane and Shell episode once a month and this is that episode. Yeah, Welcome. I'm in. Okay, Thank you. so <laughs> you're in whether you like it or not. What's this episode title? Just so this the listeners This episode know. is titled, What They Don't Tell You About Leadership. Ooh, okay. Well, let's get into it. What they don't tell you about leadership. Yeah. Shane, what are the things that you feel like, what surprised you, Shane, as a new leader? Oh, so, so many things. I mean... If we, if we go right to the very beginning of this journey from you being part of a team, you've, you know, most of the time just been with peers and getting to know your peers. And then all of a sudden, either through longevity or through opportunity, you find yourself in a position of leadership. There are some expectations that you have going into it. And you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm a leader now. This, 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 and this is going to be the case. And then you get into the, the reality of that leadership position and it really hits you in the face and you start to realize things. I reckon one of the first things that I, I realized when I found myself in a leadership position, I had this kind of expectation that when I get the title of leader, when they, when they change my business card or when they change my you know email signature to you know some kind of leadership title, that then I will just immediately feel like a leader. That I'll just be like, yeah, I'm a leader. I'll step right into that leadership capacity, and that was not my experience. What was it like for you? I am just reminded as you were telling that story of when you get the title, the feeling comes with it. I remember when I got my first HR gig, sitting in the first team meeting I did. And realizing, oh, just because I've got the position doesn't mean these people are going to want to follow me anywhere. Yes. And like, I, I remember the reality of that like really hit me, as you said, hit you in the face. It was kind of like that of, oh, it's really got very little to do with the title and way more to do with, am I someone that's worth following? Yeah. Like I kind of yeah. think about this of, now I think about those people and M, one of my, she's become one of my best friends. But we work together and I feel sorry for our first few, like, 
months of working together because I could imagine she's like, holy moly, this new manager is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, what are the things like that you feel like we need to do early to become that leader worth following? Yeah. Well, I think when, when you get into a position of leadership, the transition is going to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm new. I'm still figuring things out. I'm still learning. And so as a result of that, because that's the reality, you are still new. You're still learning. You're figuring a whole lot of things out. As a result of that, you are creating and crafting a whole lot of internal stories about yourself and about your leadership as a result of your experience. And so what often happens, what I see a lot with new leaders, what I saw in myself is that when you get into a leadership position, you go, oh, I don't feel like a leader. And because you don't feel like a leader, you start to tell yourself internal stories, which is, I mustn't be very good. Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be a leader. Maybe I wasn't ready for this. And then what you do is you go evidence seeking. You go finding evidence of that internal story, right? Because you don't feel like a leader, you go to try and prove that you're not a very good leader. And so you go to your first team meeting and you think to yourself, oh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to run this. Is this even, do my team even like me? And then you're looking around the room and seeing people's responses and they're like, yeah, see, I knew they didn't like me. And you go out and you go, I've, I'm not a good leader. I shouldn't have said yes to this position. And, you, and you, almost immediately you, want, you feel like you want to drop out. And I think one of the, the dangers of doing that is it's ultimately confirmation bias. You're looking for things that confirm an internal story that you have. And so for, from my experience working with leaders, I reckon this, this, the most fundamental starting point for anyone's journey into leadership is to look and examine your own belief systems, beliefs about yourself, your internal stories, your internal narratives, and flipping that script rather than looking for evidence to confirm that internal story that you're not very good or you're not a very good leader is to immediately uh, show kindness and self-compassion, which is, hey, I'm actually learning. I'm not a good leader right now. I'm a new leader right now. And as a result of that, that's okay. And so what I'm going to do is go look for evidence for how I can grow and look for experiences of how I can grow. So you start to find better evidence and more helpful evidence. And so that, that was a big one for me is, is just feeling like, okay, I don't feel like a leader. Therefore, I've got to, you know, just pull back and stop doing certain things rather than starting with beliefs, which is, hey, I'm a learning leader. And therefore, I'm going to put aside the feeling for a moment and just start to build um, from a foundation of belief. I love that description there you just gave, Shane, of I'm not a good leader, I'm a new leader. Because where I go is I'm not a good leader, I'm a bad leader. Yeah. <laughs> like we go to the opposite. <laughs> yes. Don't you think like we go to, okay, well, if I'm not a good leader, that must mean I'm a bad leader. But yeah. instead it's it's always somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's the polar opposite. Like so having that mindset of I'm a new leader, and like anything that we do when we're doing something new, yeah. it's going to take time and repetition and a few fails to get there. Like I've been thinking this is unrelated to leadership, but let's let's just be real. So I've been podcasting for ages, like three and a half years or longer, and have done so many podcasts. And I feel really confident in podcasting. But all of a sudden in my business, I've started to do video <laughs> videos. And I got to say, videos, videos are different to podcasts <laughs> and I don't like them and yes. I don't like them at all. And so I'm really uncomfortable about it. I get really awkward. And one of the things I was like cycling through in my own self-talk about videos was this is like when I started podcasts, it's just new. It's not that I'm bad at it. I'm just uncomfortable with the newness and I need to do the reps Spoken like someone who never goes to the gym. <laughs> like I need to do, I need to get the, the 
yeah. repetition of do this, do a couple of crappy takes, you're going to not be that great at it. But the way that you get better is you keep showing up. And I think it's the same as a new leader or as a leader who's experienced. The more you show up, the more you do the thing and you self-reflect, you get better. And one of the things I want to say to anyone listening, if you're a new-ish manager of people, you need to self-reflect. Like you need to go back and analyze, even if it's painful. Like I've got to tell you, I still listen to every single podcast episode I ever do. And I hate it. I hate hearing my own voice back. It's terrible. But that's how I feel like this podcast gets better and it's uncomfortable. And I think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or I wish I said this, or this should have been better. But ultimately that's how I feel like I've improved this skill. And I think it's the same in leadership. We need to look back on the meetings we did and go, cool. Did I show up in the way that aligns with my values? Did I address that issue with that team member in the way that got the best out of them? Well, if not, that's sweet. No worries. Learn from it. Do it differently. But I think if we don't have that self-reflection, that's where we, or we assume we need to be a pro before we've, you know, done the practice. Yes. So much yes to all of that. I think our feelings can be a very unreliable guide at times. And I'm not saying we discard or dismiss feelings. Feelings are valid and are important, but they can be really unreliable. And so you can go into a meeting and you can feel something in a meeting that is very different to the reality of that meeting. You can feel something as a leader that's very different to the reality of that as a leader. So I think if there is this misconception that, oh, I just felt like when I got into leadership, I would feel like a leader, I would suggest flip that. Don't start with feelings, start with beliefs. Don't start with how do I do I feel like a leader or do I not feel like a leader? Start with the belief, which is, okay, I'm a leader who is new, who is growing, who is developing, and I'm looking for opportunities to enhance my skill set as a leader. I don't expect to be perfect in something because I've started just because I'm not. An exceptional leader doesn't make me a bad leader. And those belief systems, those internal belief systems can completely transform how you feel. So rather than starting with feelings, you start with beliefs. And as a result of good beliefs, you start to feel differently about that. So I reckon that's a big one, Shell. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much around like you are not your feelings, but we need to observe what they are. And like sometimes I feel like it helps to put a label on it and go, okay, I'm feeling like this, but just because I'm feeling like that doesn't mean that's who I am. And I love the comparison there, Shane, of the belief systems, like anchor in on your belief, like, do I believe I have what it takes to be a good leader? Absolutely. Like, and, and how do you remind yourself of that? Even though your feelings might be saying, gee, <laughs> you're not doing well in this team meeting today or that one-on-one, you really didn't do a good job. Well, yeah, you know, that may not even be true. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting concept when you think about truth, right? Remember, I might've even mentioned this on a previous episode for people who, who remember, but I remember someone asked me once, you know, said once, you've got to kind of examine your beliefs and ask whether or not they're true. And I was like, oh, I actually don't even think it's about truth because when when you reflect on your experience and skill set as a leader, the truth might be you suck and that's okay because you might suck because you're doing it for the first time. When I first rode a bike, I sucked at riding a bike. I didn't beat myself up because I was horrible at it. When a child's learning to walk, you don't look at them and go, you are so stupid. You haven't even figured this out yet. And you're like, like you go, oh my gosh, they're learning to walk and you're so excited about the opportunity for them to take their first step. 
You're like, you look like a tiny little drunk human and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a leader of a leader and they're starting out, I think you have that same belief. You look at you, you look like a little drunk leader and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yes, you're stumbling around all over the place, but you're figuring it out as you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That is good. That is good. I, I love this idea. So, like, we work on our belief systems yeah. and then we refine those, we also have that self-reflection to go, okay, cool, how do I improve? And I think the other thing that's so crucial is like inviting your team to speak into Mm. how do we want to work really well together? Like what are the things that we agree to in how we show up and behave as a team? Because then you've almost got that accountability as well. And if those are the things you've agreed to and you've got this shared way of working, it becomes like your guide as a new leader. I like that you've you've invited the team into this conversation because that is terrifying to do for a new leader um, because you're inviting feedback. And like you had a post on this the other day, which was around inviting feedback and feedback being a gift. And you should share that because that's frigging gold about your, your uh, shirt. Um, but I think <laughs> with, with, the, with that idea, inviting them into the conversation, what you start, what I would say just as a caveat to that is don't invite them into the conversation to try and validate your feelings. When you're looking for the feedback, don't look for validation of feelings because you'll find it. Like if you say, I'm not doing a very good job, they give you feedback. Even if it's good feedback, you'll interpret that feedback, but rather test experiences and test rather than looking for that validation. But I mean, your experience the other day was hilarious. Well, I, I love that about not looking for validation. I think one of the things for so many leaders, Shane, that I see they struggle with is they don't know their own blind spots. Like, and we just don't know those things. Like, and, and that's the whole nature of some of our weaknesses are very difficult to spot. And I was sitting at the airport, I was going to Melbourne to run a leadership workshop and I have this like bright orange jacket and I, <laughs> I'm sitting in the airport just typing away, like furiously typing. It's like, I don't know, four, five, five in the morning. And someone comes up, taps me on the shoulder and like, hey, um, just want to let you know, your jacket's on inside out. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And he's like, and I don't, I can see you going to work thing. I don't want to get you to get there and be embarrassed. And I was like, I love you. Like, I love you. Yeah, did you <laughs> like, say that out loud? I feel like you might've said that out loud in the moment. Yeah, do you know? Well, yeah, that's so me, right? But I like, I, gr- I grabbed you on the shoulder and I was like, thank you. Like, thank you so much. Because I would have absolutely got there, not looked in the mirror, gone to the thing and had my and it's a very it was very obvious it would be inside out but i just think that is so relevant for us in 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 leadership is we don't get people coming and giving us feedback because of the position so our team who report into us they don't feel like they can speak up a lot of the time or they don't know how to raise an, an issue with their manager and so we could just be there sitting with our jacket inside out thinking everything's fine <laughs> and we look like an absolute goose and no one feels able to come and share honest feedback with us and I think that example of that random guy coming up to me at the airport the other day just reminded me that feedback is a service it is a gift to the person receiving it and when we reframe it and we go cool I don't know some of the, the the blind spots that I have, but I need to create an environment where the team feels so safe to come and tap me on the shoulder and go, oh, Shell, like <laughs> just this little thing, like your jacket's on inside out or, hey, you were 
really unprepared for that meeting and it was a bit of a time sink for all of us. Can next time we look at it, getting a gender before you run a meeting? Like, <laughs> you know, like how yeah. do we make that environment so safe that team members are really forthcoming with feedback and they deliver it in a respectful way? Yeah. If, if you use that metaphor of feedback being a gift, I think the what makes it a gift is the thoughtfulness in which it's delivered. Like if I had this gift that I bought you and I just walked past and here you go, Sean, I just threw it at you and just kept walking. It would, you'd be like, that meant nothing to me. You just threw a jacket at me or you threw a, you know, or whatever this gift is at me. But when I sit down and I, I thoughtfully go looking, I go shopping and I find it and I take it and I gift wrap it and I write a card that has meaningful words attached to it. We sit down, I, I share it with you. I give it to you. I watch you unwrap it, experience it and talk about how you'll use it that whole process becomes really beautiful and it, it actually is a gift-giving process. And I think feedback has to be the same way. You could run past someone and throw them some feedback and it has no thought or, or care attached to it at all and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a gift. But if you thoughtfully consider it, you use your words intentionally, you share it with someone, sit down with them, watch them unwrap it and then have a conversation about how they'll use it, that is actually a really beautiful experience. Spot on. I love that example of you know those like really well wrapped, wrapped gifts. Like I pre kids, <laughs> post kids I don't do this, but like pre kids, I was like I'm a, I love gifts, and I would spend heaps of time wrapping them and make them really beautiful and put like floral stuff in there and like whatever. And there's something in the psychology of you haven't just gone and thought about the actual present. You've wrapped it really beautifully so that the whole experience is amazing. Mm. I think there's two things that happen. We have to train our teams on how to do that. Yeah how do I deliver feedback in a way that sets the receiver up to hear it? But the second thing we need to do, we have to commit to as a leader, I'm going to receive feedback regardless of whether it's been delivered well or not. Yeah. Because your team are sometimes going to do this and some people are so so good at this and then other team members will have the gift in a garbage bag, dump it on your desk and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is not good. This is not a good experience. But our choice and the way that we enable our teams to give more and more feedback and the way that we enable our teams to give more feedback is by choosing to receive it regardless of the way that it's wrapped. Like obviously I think every, every single team member needs to learn the art of delivering feedback. But as we know, it just in reality, it doesn't always happen in the way that we would hope. So sometimes I reckon the big moments for leaders are how do I respond when someone's dropped the feedback ball on me, they delivered in the worst way, but I need to still hear the essence of what they're saying. I reckon we, we train a lot of people how to give feedback, not enough people how to receive feedback. What do you think are some of the key things we need to remember about how we receive feedback well? Yeah, I reckon the first one that comes to mind for me is you've got to see every feedback as something that is for you, not against you. It's actually mm. for your development, not someone's holding something against you. And I think if you sit there and you go, okay, first and foremost, whatever this feedback is, it's for my benefit. It's not them coming against me. This is why I think it fits really nicely within this feelings component. Is if our feelings are clouded with, I don't feel like a good leader, I feel very insecure, I don't, you know, all our feelings get in the way, we can see something as it's an attack against us. As opposed to our belief system is, hey, I'm a learning leader, I'm a growing leader, I'm in this place where I need to get feedback to grow and develop, then it's seen as something that is for me. So first and foremost, it's for me. And then the second thing is, this person cares enough about me to say something to me. 
And that is a huge component. If, if someone says something to you, regardless of whether you love, it, you love it or hate it, my response is thank you. Because they could have said that to somebody else and instead they chose to say it to me. And so that is a huge component. I love that about the thank you stuff, Shane. I think it was Hormozy posted something about the best way to get more feedback is to say thank you, like even when it hurts. If I yeah. say thank you after each piece of feedback, I will be the type of person that gets more of it. And the best way to become a good leader is to create that environment where you are getting continual regular feedback from not just your peers or your manager, but from the people that work for you. Yeah. And you won't even begin to ask that if you don't have a good belief system in place about yourself. If you don't feel good about yourself because you've got an unhelpful belief system, then you will not want feedback. You won't invite feedback. You won't want that space because it, it will hurt because the feelings are guiding your decisions as opposed to helpful beliefs and healthy beliefs guiding those decisions. So feelings, we need to kind of preempt this and go, let's not be guided by our feelings, let's be guided by our belief systems. Yes. What else don't they tell us about leadership? <laughs> uh, look, I think the other thing that I had this misconception about in leadership is this idea that if I have more power, which comes with the title and the role of, of leadership, then I'll just have a whole lot more freedom. <laughs> Obviously, more power equals more freedom, right? And so I can just, I can get away with more things. I can do more things. I would, you know, I wouldn't be under so many restrictions or requirements. And then you get in leadership and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got so much more pressure and weight and restriction around what I can and can't do. And that was a, that was a big shock for me in leadership. It's kind of like that paradox of freedom and responsibility. Like yeah. you get more freedom to make decisions, but you have way more responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's from like that Netflix slide deck from a few years back. One of their big values was freedom and responsibility. And as a new leader, I think we err towards one side or the other. Yeah, I have freedom or responsibility. But it's like, no, I live in the tension zone between freedom and responsibility. I have both at the same time. And I need to also, I think the other side of responsibility, and one of the things that I see for people who get promoted to leadership is they often get promoted because they're a really good technical operator. Yeah. And so often they're really high on responsibility. That's one yeah. of the reasons why they're high performer. They've done really well. They're super responsible. They owned their work. And so they then get promoted because they did an awesome job. But then when they get into the leadership role, they're like, oh, now I need to release the responsibility, <laughs> but I'm not used to doing that because I want to take all the responsibility myself and I don't want other people to take it on and stuff it up. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> holding it. But then that's when the micromanagement stuff creeps in, right? And all those yeah. kinds of dynamics that people are like, I don't want to work for you because you are really controlling. <laughs> like, So I think this thing of freedom and the interplay of freedom and responsibility are really interesting because it's kind of a paradox. Well, I, th- I think you've touched on a paradox, which I think if if people take nothing else out of this conversation today is one that is worth holding in many, many aspects of your life, which is the the paradox of not either or, but both and, uh, which is it's not freedom or responsibility. It's not that I, as a leader, can have all the freedom in the world and and without the responsibility. It's both freedom and responsibility. I remember one person uh, years ago told me this kind of metaphor, this example, which I really loved. He said, Shane, when I was a a team member, I felt like a four-wheel drive. Now, (laughs) again, weird metaphor. Um, He said, I felt like a four-wheel drive and... He said, I felt like I, you know, I could go off road. I could do whatever I wanted. I could like, 
I could take it kind of bush bashing and, and it didn't really concern me if I hit a few things or whatever. Cause I just, it was, I could live a little bit more recklessly. He said, and then I got promoted to leadership and it's like someone attached a caravan to the back of my four wheel drive. And he said, it all of a sudden changed the places that I could go, the things that I could do, the kind of the routes that I would take, because I wasn't just thinking about myself anymore. I was thinking about everything that was, that was attached to me. And when you step into leadership, there's this belief that go, oh, I've got so much more freedom of all the things that I can do. And the answer is actually in leadership, you do. You can make a lot more of the decisions. You can make a lot more of the calls. You can set a lot more of your own hours because you, you don't have that person that is, you know, kind of managing you as closely because they, as a leader, you kind of start to lead yourself and manage yourself a lot more. So there is freedom that comes with that. However, on the, on the other side of that is then you also have the and, which is the and responsibility. So I, as a leader, could have the freedom to stay home and work from home every single day, not really connect with my team, just get my job done. And probably I could do that. However, the responsibility piece means that by um, taking too much of the liberty of that freedom, my team feel disconnected and isolated. They don't know what's going on and they suffer the consequences, not me. So I live my best life and they suffer the consequences, which is the four wheel drive and the caravan scenario all over again. And so I think from my perspective, when I think about this, the question I'm always reflecting on is if I do this and everybody on my team acted the same way, would I be happy with the culture that this creates within our team? And if I'm not happy with it, even though I can do it, it doesn't mean that I probably should do it. And that's the responsibility piece coming in. And I think like that example as well of the the caravan is such a good one because it's like, yeah, you might get more freedom because of the role that you've stepped into. But, yeah, you carry that responsibility and there's a weight to it. Yeah. Like there is a weight to it. And I think one of the things that we they don't tell you about leadership is the weight the emotional weight that you then carry. And I was talking on a podcast with Don Price from Atlassian a couple of episodes ago and we were talking about this idea of asking your team members if they're okay. Mm. Like those types of conversations change. Like previously when you're an individual contributor, I hate that word but let's just use it for the sake of argument, you're an individual contributor where you're only responsible kind of for yourself. Yeah. You step into leadership, all of of a sudden you're responsible not just for the tasks that people deliver but for the way in which they deliver it, for the the dynamic on your team, for the the culture that that team is setting. And I think there's that emotional toll that comes in and that really impacts the energy that you need to to have, the way that you show up and, and... Dom on this podcast said about how great leaders ask some of those questions that expose them to those emotional responses of like, hey, how are you really going? I'm, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Mm. Or, hey, I noticed this. Like, I know you don't see yourself. Like, tell me what's, what's happening in your world if you feel comfortable to share. And that stuff, it's not like a task-based w- workload, but there's an emotional load to it and they can be really challenging moments. And I don't think people understand that until they get into it and they're like, oh, wow, this, this can be heavy. Like this is just this, the the general heaviness or responsibility. That's how I describe it. How would you? Yeah. I I think heaviness is a good word. I think it's the, it's the weight of responsibility, right? Like when, when someone attaches something to you, I, I could imagine being a pilot in a plane and the weight of responsibility they must feel 
every time they're running through every safety check on their on their plane and their pre-boarding checks and all of their navigational checks, they're not doing it because they're caring about their own personal safety. I'm sure that plays into it, but they're looking at the two or 300 people that they have in the cabin behind them that one missed checklist or one faulty piece of equipment could impact the lives of two or 300 people. And that feels really heavy to say for a new leader. So if you're a new leader, like, like dial it down, like go easy on yourself because you're new and you're still learning this. But if you feel the responsibility, it's a good responsibility to feel because you, your decisions don't just impact you anymore. And that was the thing that I forgot when I stepped first and stepped into leadership. No one told me that, Hey, every decision you make now has consequences, not just on you, but also on your team. And that's something we need to tell people a lot more. Cause if you know that you're much more intentional and conscious about the decisions that you make. I think maybe the way that we could describe this or you and I have talked about is like that sense of fatigue. Yeah. Like fatigue and I guess dealing with the fatigue in leadership and the emotional energy that it takes. What's your vibe with that? Yeah, I mean, that's probably what, that's one of the other topics that I think came to mind that I didn't tell you about leadership enough, which is the fatigue component of it, which is that when you step into leadership, it carries a lot more weight and therefore it's a lot easier to feel fatigued in a role than potentially when you're in a team member role. Because when you're in a team member role, you're carrying a workload fatigue. When you're in a leadership role, you're carrying a workload fatigue plus a people fatigue. And you just touched on it before because you're not just leader. Sometimes you're counselor and therapist and sometimes you are friend and sometimes you're all these different hats and different roles. And therefore, it plays into that weight of responsibility. So you'll feel fatigued a lot more. And so I think one thing that I probably didn't feel like people set me up for when I stepped into leadership was just how important it would be to not to make time in my calendar for margin and rest because as a leader, you won't find it. Your calendar fills up quicker than as a team member. And so you don't find yeah. it naturally. You have to intentionally schedule it and make it. I love the margin idea. Um, Tim, CEO that I worked for, and I've talked about him before on the podcast, he's such an amazing CEO, and he would often talk to all the leaders within that business about margin. And I hadn't really understood that concept until he spoke about it. And he talked about, remember like our old like school books, and they had like a margin in the and, and the edge of the page, and it'd be like, you know, a couple of centimetres margin on every page. And if we think about work schedule, do we have a few hours of margin within our week that is like unbooked, unpopulated, nothing there, like just space? And I think space is so precious because every moment is full. Like I look at my calendar sometimes and I'm like, there is no margin, there is no space. And if there's no space as a leader, when things go wrong, you don't have not only you don't have the time, but you don't have the emotional capacity to, to respond in the way that you'd like to respond. You don't have the energy reserves to healthily handle something that could be quite complex. So an example might be your team member has a personal crisis in their family and they come to you, they find out in work hours, they come to you and they're really not in a good space. But if you're in back-to-back meetings nonstop the whole week, you're already exhausted. You don't have the energy to respond in the way that you you want and support them in the way that you want. And so if we're always maxed and there is no margin, we don't have any room for those emergencies. And that's one of the shock factors is if you have a team 
of three or more people of of one person, you're going to have those surprise things come up that you're like, if I haven't got space in my schedule, if I haven't got the emotional reserves, I'm not going to lead in the way that I want. I love the metaphor of the margins because do you know, like go back to the school book metaphor, that line down the side, what's the purpose of that margin? It was so you wouldn't fill the whole page. But the purpose of that margin was there so that the teacher could comment and make running commentary on your work, right? So if you think oh, about it, you, yeah, so I mean, I mean why, why do margins exist? So where's your, your kid, I mean, sorry, is growing up, you draw rule a line down the side of your page and then you would do your working and then the teacher could come down and make comments on your work and give feedback to it, right? And so margins are not just about so our life's so full we don't have space. It is that as well. It's definitely so we've got space for things. But it's also that we can create commentary on the work component of what we've got to do. So if you don't have room in your calendar, how do you have a reflective practice on whether or not you're doing a good job? How do you ask for feedback? How do you have space to be able to go, was this a good job? Was this a bad job? Because you're so stretched to the edges. So I think, yeah, margins are are crucial, not just for emergencies and additional kind of work that comes up. It's so that we can step outside of our work and our leadership for a moment and look at the bigger picture and go, okay, I need to have a conversation about that thing as well. That's amazing. I love that. I didn't realize that that's what it was for. I just knew there was like a blank space. Yeah, it could be that. I could have just made it up, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was for. (laughs) That's what my teacher did, right? So the teacher would go, hey, um, you've done your working here. Great job. Or it's encouragement or it's feedback. It's like, hey, consider this next time. And you're like, oh, it's reflective practice. Yeah, or in my case, it'd be like, don't pursue a career in maths. (laughs) Anything to do with numbers, you should not do. (laughs) Noted. Thank you, teacher. (laughs) If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from or you can listen on the audio book, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. What else don't they tell you about leadership? Like I've got some ideas, but I'm really keen to know yours. Yeah. I mean, if I was to think of another one, uh, there is this saying that I hate and it's the saying that it's lonely at the top Um, because I don't think they (laughs) tell you enough about when you step into leadership, it's the friendships that you develop within your work change because when you're at a peer level with people, you can be friends with everybody on your team. You can have seven or eight people on your team that you're friends with because you're peers. 
But then when you step into leadership, you're not friends anymore. You're the leader and you, you change that position and that hat that you wear. And so there's a distinction between, can I still be friendly? Of course I can be friendly, but I'm not a distinct friend with people anymore, especially if you've been promoted within your team. Now, I'm not saying you can't have friends, but that's why I think you don't realize that it can feel lonely at the top. My belief is is, is that it, it can feel lonely at the top, but it doesn't have to be lonely at the top. But I think that's one thing that a lot of people are not prepared for is that change of relationship that comes with the people around you when you step into a leadership role. So this is good. Let's have let's let's have some debate. Yes. Because I heard um I think I may have said this in previous episodes. Someone who does like leadership coaching said put this thing on Instagram and it was like a quote that you can't be friends with the people you lead. And I just don't buy that. Like I've got to say, I just do not, I, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. I think yes, 100%. When If you get promoted from peer to manager, your relationships change totally. There's a transition. There's other awkward stuff that happens. Like if, if you, one of your previous peers who you now lead is underperforming, yep, awkward. The stuff that happens that has to, you have to step into the mess of that. But the, this really like hardline delineation between, well, now you're a people manager and you can't have friendships with those people, I, I just don't, I don't buy that. And, and maybe I'm off and maybe I'll come back to this and go, no, no, I am wrong. And so I'm open to that. Here's my kind of, you know, if I get the palm cards out and I channel my inner debater, this is what I think, Shane. I think the best leadership relationships that I've had have been a relationship, like a friend. There's been a foundation of friendship. And if I define what healthy friendship is to me, it is the ability to have a depth of relationship and transparent, honest discussion. And so great, the great leaders that I've worked for have felt like, and I've still got relationship with them. My old boss, Deb, have talked about it plenty of times. She's my favorite person that I've ever had the pleasure of working with and working for and now she's my friend and we have this really authentic relationship where she's the type of person that would say to me oh shell that's what you're doing there that worries me or like hey I'm a bit ner- I don't know that that's a good idea I know that she cares for me as a person and I think the people that I've led that I've had the the most healthy high performing team dynamics with have also been my friends. And so I just want to put that to you and go, what's your take on this? You can be friends with the people you lead at the same time. Sorry, I I, I put so much tension in that. I, I kind of agree with you. And probably my only distinction that I slightly kind of feel a little bit different about is I don't think you can be a friend and a leader at the same time because you confuse the people you're leading. So I, I think you can be friends with the people you lead. And I think it's, I think it's fine. Absolutely you can. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people that have been in leadership with me. However, as a person who's on the team, it's very confusing, which is, am I talking to my friend right now or am I talking to my boss? And so the two things that I would say about this is that if you are friends with your leader or if you're friends with your team, as a leader, you have to recognize that the relationship will not look the same as it did when you were peers. Because immediately because of your title, the power dynamic in your relationship has changed and you have to treat that relationship differently because of the power dynamic shift. You don't, you don't control that because at the end of the day, you are the person who's responsible for leading them and that power dynamic has already changed. It's why 
you know, in therapy, like there's, there's really clear ethics around that because a person comes and shares their life with you and you're in a position of power and that's changed the dynamic between the relationships. So I would say there has to be respect in the relationship to know that it's changed, that it won't look like it did before. And the second thing is you as a leader have to be very clear on what hat you're wearing at certain times and be and over-communicate that to the person. I remember a good example of this, I was, I was doing some counseling work in a, in a kind of a halfway home and people who were in this kind of shared housing situation. And they came in, they said, hey, Shane, we want you to take them grocery shopping, the kids that you're working with and, and counseling. And it was a huge conflict for me because they saw me as their counselor. And then what they wanted to do was put me in a social worker scenario where I would take them and do their day-to-day tasks and things. And I said, no, I said, because it's very confusing for them. Is it, am I their counselor? Am I their social worker? Am I their friend? Am I their buddy? And that's not fair on them. And so I think as a leader, if you can be friends with people, but just make it really clear. Hey, just so you know, right now, I've got to put my lead, my, my boss hat on. We need to have a conversation about performance in your job. And that's going to like, they need to know they're talking to them or, Hey, Hey, can I talk to you as a friend right now? Can I put my friend hat on and and let's talk about that, but just make it really explicit for those people. So you can be both just not at the same time. That's my perspective. And maybe this is where my view of it is like a slightly different in terms of, I probably think of uh, my association with friendship is like a depth of relationship. Yeah. So we have a deep relationship where we have real and honest and authentic chats. And so I just, that, that's how I perceive a healthy friendship is like authenticity, it's tough conversations, it's real talk, it's there in the good, bad, ugly times. And so not like mates, mates, mm. but like not like matesy in that kind of way of framing it, but it's this authenticity. And so when I... And I love this conversation because I love that we're kind of debating this from different angles because when I hear the hat conversation, I'm like, I don't know that I feel like there's the delineation between the two things. So, like, I I think if I set expectations up well with the people that I lead, so, like, I'm really big on what are all the conversations that you have when you're making these transitions. So if you come in and you've gone from peer to leader, you have – an onboarding conversation mm. where you sit down with them and you go, hey, cool, there's this transition that's happening right now. I am now going to be responsible for the performance of this team like you're responsible for your own performance in the role. That means that the conversations we have are going to change. So we'll be talking about how are we going, what's working well, what feedback do we have, how are you feeling about that? And like just throw it back to them and go, cool, how are you feeling about this change in our relationship yeah. and the dynamic and what does that mean for us about how we want to communicate when there's stuff that inevitably goes wrong, when there's yeah. fails, when there's things that need to be improved? How do we want to communicate together? And I do agree that there's confusion. Like if you've been really tight with someone and then I think it's mainly around when things go wrong mm. where we start to have those problems where I see people who've been super close and then someone's not performing their role and then they have to like all of a sudden feel like, oh, my gosh, like am I going to have to like give this person a written warning or am mm. I going to have to terminate this person's employment? And that stuff gets super messy. So I'm not acknowledging, I'm, I'm not taking away from that. I just, mm. I don't know, there's part of me that just goes, oh, I don't know, maybe, and maybe that's me just saying I, I, is it what I'm describing, a depth of relationship mm. and connection and maybe the word friendship is not what I'm just not what I think. It's more like, hey, we've got this really like deep, real, authentic relationship, and we 
talk about performance in the team, but we also talk about how you're going in your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think we both I think where we both agree is that there is a, there has to be an, a recognition from a leader that the relationship has changed and a mm. conversation about how that convers- that new relationship is outworked within the team. I think we, we we both agree on that. And I think where what what I like that you're talking about is that when it comes to those relationships, we probably need to define what do we mean by a friend. Like a friend is probably because Gallup used it in their Q twelve survey. Do you have a friend at work? Like a best friend at work, and it, it's how we would define friend. And I think what you're, what I'm hearing from you is friendship is a depth of relationship and trust, which is probably what a leader can do with everyone on their team. When I hear friend, yeah. I think about the kind of person that I'm going out for drinks with or hanging out at a party on the weekend with, and we, we're going on holidays or we're you know we're, we're mutual family friends or that kind of stuff where it's like that that yeah. close personal out of work relationships. And I think when you've got a, a, an intimate out-of-work relationship, meaning that you spend a lot of time outside of work together, you then have to have very explicit mm. conversations about who, who are we at work. And the lines are blurred. Yep. So I see that's where the mess gets because if you're, like you think about the types of conversations you have with your friend, like sometimes there'll be gossipy relationships mm. that conversations sometimes, be, and that gets messy in a leadership dynamic because if if people see you as the boss have really personal friendship with this person over here, They the other team members start to look at that and go, oh, there's favoritism or there's yep. like inconsistency in how you relate to that person compared to how you relate to everyone else and that damages yep. trust. And so I think you're absolutely right. Mm. Like I, I think the best leaders that I have worked for are the ones who have a depth of relationship, they really understand the people that they lead well and the nuances of each individual and how they behave and they have a really good, healthy connection with the people that they lead. Yeah. And so maybe that's where I'm... All really strong things. Yeah. Yeah. Even like on the other side of that as well, it's like sometimes you'll hear information in a senior position of leadership and naturally you would go and tell your friends about it like because they're not in your work context. They don't know anything about it, but that might be sensitive information. But something you talk to your best friend about going, hey, I'm really struggling with the decision they're making at work and how it conflicts with my values. But if you were sitting down with someone on your team and it was a decision that was made from your CEO, you would immediately then go, oh, should I be telling them this information because they're on my team? And I think all of these things just come back to awareness first and foremost, which is around, I have freedom. It comes back to our last point. I've got freedom. I could talk to them as my best friend, but I also have responsibility, which is I'm also their leader. And so it's the and responsibility piece which comes into this as well. Yeah, totally. And I love it. And I'm glad we like, you know, wrestled that one. <laughs> Shell, that was the that was the tamest wrestle that I think uh, people listening to that that was not a wrestle. Like we both kind of were pointing at the <laughs> same gonna... thing, uh, looking at it from different directions. But I'm sure that there will be more things we can debate a lot more heated Do in the future. Do you know what? Though, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Like we should we should absolutely have like the the rebuttals and palm cards. <laughs> I, I I think one of the things as we've had this conversation and and one one of my big learnings in leadership, what they don't tell you is I felt early on in my leadership days and training teams has been we associate leadership with like charisma and speeches and like selling the vision. But the thing that no one told me and I wish that they did early and so I'm telling any of our listeners the number one thing I wish someone sat down with me on my first day of leading a team and said, if you do nothing else, be consistent mm. in your behaviour. Yes. Like be consistent. I wish someone told me that early because 
I'm quite an excitable person, so which that can come with like highs and lows. And for my team, I imagine that was pretty like exhausting to deal with or like we'd get really excited about a new shiny thing and drop off the consistent thing that we've been trying to deliver <laughs> and, and like always pursue the new next thing. And and I think a lot of leaders are like that, right? But the thing that your team really need from you is to show up consistently and do the things that you said you were going to do. Yeah. And I wish more leaders started with that as a foundation rather than starting with this sense of I have to like bring the energy and the yeah. charisma and do the speech thing and like everyone's like, oh, like all the shiny upfront things but the background things that are make or break, like doing your one-on-ones consistently, showing up on time, having consistency in your mood, like mood, body language, mm. like how do you show up in a meeting and what is your body language like when other team members are talking, are you scrolling on your phone or are you on email or are you rolling your eyes when someone says, like those are like the small things but far out, like they have huge, huge impact on how a team mm. connects and behaves. I, I- Hundred percent. If if I have the number one thing that people say, what makes a leader worth following? Almost always, one of the first words out of people's mouth is credibility, and they say, "I want a leader that's credible." And do you know what they mean when they say credible? They mean they're consistent over time. You don't have credibility overnight. You have credibility over time, and the only way you get credibility over time is consistency over time. And so, cr- consistency is a building block for credibility. So, if anyone's out there who's saying, "I just want to be more credible as a leader," will show up more consistently every day. If you are one person one day, another person the next day, and there's no consistency, people don't see you as a credible leader. If you want to get, if you want to become the world's best tennis player, you show up every day and you do your drills, and over time that consistency pays off, and people have watched your journey and progress, and they go, "I remember them when they were doing this, and they're still doing it ten years later." that's someone I see as credible and, and that's someone who I, I, would, I would follow. So I, I couldn't agree more. Consistency over time is is such a crucial component. Um, the, what I would say is that the only downside to consistency over time is that consistency means you have to be consistent when it's not easy decisions. Consistency feels easy when it's easy decisions. And what I can find is usually the easy decisions, over time, the sentiment starts to drop off. So if you imagine like a, a cross, it starts really uh, like a diagram goes from the top left to the bottom right, it drops off. So the sentiment over time is like you did the easy thing, but over time it's not the right thing and the sentiment mm. and drops off over time. But often at time when consistency is at play, you do the hard thing in the moment. It's not always liked, the sentiment's not strong, but it goes the opposite direction. Over time people go, that was the right decision. What would be an example of that? I'm just, I'm thinking back, I'm trying, yeah. I'm thinking what would be an example of the hard decision, but you approach it with consistency. Yeah. So someone on your team, you've joined a new team and there's someone who's just un, like they're unhelpful, unproductive, toxic behaviors within your team. And someone's let that go on for a long time. In the moment, people are like, oh, just ignore it. It's fine. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, cool. We don't talk about it. The team feels happy. So the sentiment's really strong. Over time, that behavior progresses to become worse and worse and you consistently ignore it. And then everyone's like, you should have let that person go years ago. The team's toxic and you, you end up with a really bad result. The flip version of that is you've got a toxic person on your team. You go, this is unacceptable. And you approach it with fairness and consistency, but the result is they leave the team. Usually when a toxic person leaves the team, there's two or three other people that have been in their circle who feel jaded by that decision. 
by letting that person go and the sentiment of the team drops and people are really unhappy for a short period of time. And then what ends up happening is the consistency continues to show up and over time the sentiment's like, you look back and you go, oh my gosh, look at what our team's achieved since having let that person go. It was one of the best decisions that you could have made. So you have to be holding on to that long range consistency as mm. opposed to that short range, fun, excitement, energy, mood, charisma, sentiment. Yeah, that is a really, really good example. I like seeing even like I can see the exact thing you described on so many teams where you make the tough call. Let's say you move that toxic person on and the initial thing is like, oh, that's painful. Like that person had been here for 10 years. Like and look at what all all the things I did. Yeah, there was some downsides but like, oh, but you're so right. Like over time people go, yeah, no, that was the the right call even though it was painful at the mo- in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We've got time for one more. Oh, one more thing one more. they don't tell you <laughs> about leadership. I think the one that comes to mind is, is when it comes to progress, you'll go a lot more, a lot more slowly than you think. I think when I got into leadership, I had all these grand ambitions. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to achieve these kinds of results. And within this kind of time frame, I've got a 90-day plan. Uh, feels like I just become president. I'm like, what's my 90-day plan? Um, <laughs> or what's that book, you know, your first 90 days? You have all these grand ambitions. And I think you will feel the frustration of your team not moving at the pace that you would hope that they would move at. And so what I would say is you have to learn to celebrate progress, not just achievement and outcome. Because we're really, really good at celebrating outcomes and all these achievements and goals, but you have to celebrate progress just as much as you celebrate that. Because when you step into leadership, it's going to take time and it's going to move a lot, lot, lot slower than you think it will. Yeah. <laughs> all of us like that are like, get it done and get it now. We're like, oh. But I know. Horrible. What a so horrible right. way to end. Who does that to end the podcast? Because <laughs> you're sitting there going like, yes, I'm ready to take on the world. And I think that's great. And you should. I think you should go out there and you should set high goals, have high ambition, have huge amounts of drive. And at the same time, not awe, and at the same time, recognize that uh, what's the saying that you, I remember this is great quote. I'm probably going to completely butcher it, that you will achieve a lot less than you think you will in the next three years, but achieve a whole lot more than you think you will in the next 10. We often set these goals for ourselves and we think, okay, I didn't get anywhere near of the work that I wanted to achieve this this year. But if you look at it over averaged out over 10 years, you'll do far more than what you could have anticipated that you could have done. But again, celebrating progress, not just outcomes. If I was to think about the last thing from my side that I've seen that I feel like they don't tell you in leadership, it would be you got to say the same thing on repeat. <laughs> like you got to get comfortable. Like I think about the idea of I we're like I've, I love Taylor Swift, and this morning Bowie, my youngest, like that Sunny, my oldest, was like dancing out on the balcony to Taylor Swift, and he hears Taylor Swift, and he's like. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, and he's so cute, but he's like, I want to go dance. That's what he's saying to me. And I'm like, yeah, cool, go dance. And I was thinking about Taylor and going, she's done these songs on repeat forever. Yeah. Like she's been around, she would have played so many of those songs over and over and over again. And it's what the fans love. Like they love hearing it on repeat. And I think I would love for any leader to go keep saying the same thing on repeat. Yeah. Like you might get sick of it, but your team love to hear it. Like they do, they love to hear the, that consistent message of 
here's where we're going. Here's what we're going after. We're doing this thing together. No solo players. Like we're all in team players. Cycle that. Just chief reminding officer, be that person. Like that would be my kind of off the cuff Mm. (laughs) final thought about what I wish I knew early on. Oh, 100%. If you've ever been to a gig and they didn't play your favourite song, you gutted, right? Like I remember going to gigs and just being like, yes, like I waited here for this whole thing just for them to play their encore song, which is the song everyone in the room has been waiting for. Because you know, because usually when they play that song, everyone's phones come out and they start recording because like that's the song that they were there to capture. I, I reckon unless your team, you hear your team saying it, you haven't said it enough. Mm. Like it's not enough for you to be saying it. It's when you start hearing your team say it to other people, then you're like, okay, now it's starting to stick. Yes. I love that. I love that when you hear them repeat it back to you, like I've done, it's like the crowd singing your lyrics. Yes. That's how a musician knows they've made it right. Yeah. Yeah. When they they hold the microphone out to the room and everyone finishes the chorus. Like if you're in a meeting room and you go to say something and everyone in the room chants this mantra or this saying back to you, that's like, that's how you know you've arrived as a leader. That's a good test. Take that away from today. (laughs) See what people, if people can repeat and regurgitate that stuff back to you because yeah, you're so right. That's when you know you've made it. (laughs) Well, let's park it here. Shane, for those who don't know you, everyone, everyone who listens to this podcast <laughs> loves you. They love you so much. We get so much good feedback about any time you're on, which is why you're on here on repeat. How do they find you if they don't happen oh, to know let, you Let's yet? hang out anywhere online. Um, at Shane M. Hatton is where you'll find me pretty much on any social media channel. If you want the professional version, check out LinkedIn. If you want the kind of more personal version, check out Instagram. If you want the unhinged version, go to Threads. <laughs> And I can testify is unhinged and is your best version. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, well, share this with a friend and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. Thanks so much for hanging out, Shane. Thanks, Shane. As you are on threads. (laughs) Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Again, side note, and feel free to edit this out, but I remember meeting with a a board chair one time and we sat down for this meeting. And to this day, I still think about it. I ordered a coffee. We were having a very professional conversation. He ordered a strawberry milkshake and didn't (laughs) once reference that strawberry milkshake. And to this this day, I think it's the strongest power move that has ever been used on me because I've never stopped thinking about it. (laughs) I love that. You, that story is 
So good. Like I can just imagine him like sipping out of a straw at the very end of the milkshake and making that noise and being like, this is so awkward. The issue is not the strawberry milkshake just drinking that during the meeting. It's when you get to the last little bits and you get the right at the the last bit, that's the the power move, I think. (laughs) It is a power move. Speaking of power moves, let's talk about the power moves of leadership. (laughs) No, 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 that's not the title. The title is...